From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rifki Itzkowitz, and on today's show, how a Seattle girl career hopped her way through several different fields and ended up with a successful food blog and organizing the Kavana Conference, a day of personal growth for Jewish women. Most people know Melinda Strauss as the chick behind Kitchen Tested, a kosher food blog where no ingredient is too strange. In the last year, she's transformed herself into a motivational speaker focused mainly on health and personal growth. And while that may seem random, it makes perfect sense to her. I grew up in Seattle, Washington, um, born and raised and still in my heart forever, even though I live in Long Island now. Uh, sometimes people even joke, they're like, you're not from around here, you're too nice. I'm like, yes, because I'm from Seattle. Um, I will say that I wasn't always so nice growing up, though. I was a little bit of a bully when I was younger. Not proud of it, but super different than the person I am now. So I'm like really proud of who I am now. Um, but I grew up, lots of friends, you know, living, living the dream. I don't know, I just, you know, two parents, three siblings, always a dog in my house. And um, I don't know what else, like, what was it about me? I, I think I was funny. <laughs> That's, I'm trying to think, like, what, what else do you say about yourself growing up? Oh, everyone, I, I, everyone I, likes to say different things. Yeah, thank God I had a good childhood. Like, I'm really happy, you know, not, not, not so many stories to tell in a good way about my childhood. Well, that's always good. Yeah. You, you mentioned now that you were kind of a little bit of a bully growing up. Ooh, I'm yeah. curious at what point you recognized, like how old were you when you recognized that maybe you were not behaving the best? Um, high school, I guess. I knew that I wasn't always the nicest. Like I liked having lots of friends and I grew up in a really small community my entire high school was 120 something people when I graduated, which my kids, each of their classes is 120 kids. It's crazy. So I just always, I don't know. I just like, I always thought that I was so honest. Like I tell it like it is. That was always my thing. So I was just super honest with people, but not in a nice way because I thought I was doing the right thing or I thought just they need to hear what I have to say. And so I would say it, but I didn't really have a lot of empathy or a lot of kindness with it. So I just would say it and people clearly did not like all the things that I had to say, but I just thought, you know, well, it's, it's something in my brain. So I got to get it out and tell them. That's actually a really self-aware thing to realize. So just, you no, know, it really is. Like if, I mean, listen, we all have times when someone is like, I don't know, does this dress make me look fat? And you want to say, yes, it does. And, and you shouldn't wear it. And here's why, or for whatever reason. And, and I, you know, as a kid, it's something that kids have, you know, like little kids will always tell you the truth, no matter what. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's something that we all grow out of. And some people are just more aware of it than others, I guess. And it's kind of interesting that you were so super aware of it. Now, it's not to say that I didn't do it. I was just very aware of what I was doing. I had, you know, I grew up with two sisters and one brother. So my brother and I fought like siblings fight, but with one of my sisters, shout out to you, Jessica, I love you. Uh, we would just fight about everything and we're so the opposite. She's 
much more sensitive than I am. And I would just say whatever I wanted. And I knew, I knew that it wasn't the right thing to say because she would be upset about it, but I just did it anyways. And I think it's made me so much more aware as an adult of it, you know, when, especially with like social media and Instagram and people are like, but I just tell it like it is. I'm like, but there's, there is a balance of people that aren't, first of all, always asking for your opinion. <laughs> so, right. you know, telling it like it is, there's a way of, of doing it where you're being constructive versus just saying it and that's it and not even thinking about the consequences. So I would say that childhood Melinda didn't think about the consequences of my words as much as I do now. Well, uh, I, that doesn't surprise me though, but especially because now you are very much a public figure and you know, if you say something on Instagram, people are listening and that can have real effects on other people's businesses, on other people's livelihoods, on what people think about a specific product or way of being or neighborhood or whatever. Do you ever find that to be stressful? I don't. Um, and this is interesting because I just, I, I still tell it like it is. I'm just, again, I think more about the consequences of what I'm saying. I'm a very honest person and I believe in everything that I'm saying. So if I say it, I truly believe in it. And I would never really say anything like I love where I live now. I live in the five towns in Long Island and people have their opinions about it. But I just, I have such a strong positive experience here that when I talk about it, I hope that people know how real I am because I, I think any neighborhood you live in, you could have tough people. <laughs> but I just so strongly only say what I believe. I don't like to say things just because I'm on Instagram. And so I know that what I'm saying is real. So if somebody else doesn't necessarily like what I have to say, okay, that's, and that's just really like, I guess that's how I've always been that part of me. But I just, if, if I feel it, I'm just going to say it. And I just am more conscious now of the way that I say something so that people can hear it the way that I really want it expressed. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. Okay. And it's funny that you bring up the five towns also. I actually went to school in the five towns. I went to TAG in Far Rockaway. Oh, so funny. Um, yeah, I live in Kew Garden Hills and I traveled to, and I traveled to TAG for high school. And it was one of the best decisions that I ever made. And everyone told me not to do it mm. because they said, you know, the, for people who are not familiar, the Five Towns does have um, a reputation as, you know, full of rich and snobby people, basically. Um, and my experience coming from my not so, you know, affluent neighborhood was that there were people who were mean to me who were poor. And I was like, you know what, rich people don't have a monopoly on meanness. And I don't like these people and I'm going to go to different people. And I went to, and I went to tag and it was the best decision that I ever made because it allowed me to remove myself from what was a really toxic situation. I had been pretty badly bullied in, um, in elementary school. I spoke about that, um, on the woman of valor podcast with Barry. I love and that podcast. Yeah. She's, she does such great stuff there. Yeah. And for me, I, when everyone was like saying, oh, all these rich people are all so mean. I was like, yeah, but I know some poor people who are really mean too. And, <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not interested. I love what you said. I love that, that it's not, it's not about how much money you have. Nobody has a monopoly on being mean or being nice, by the way. Like, right. you know, again, I'm from Seattle, which is really a town of lots of nice people. But just because of where I'm from doesn't mean I'm any type of person. And growing up, I always thought the five towns was that 
stigma, right? Where everybody was not nice and everybody was rich and snobby. And my goodness, I couldn't have been more wrong. Right. Yeah. No, there, there are so many just lovely people there who opened up their homes to me. And yes, were their homes much, much larger than mine? Yeah. But who cares? Um, you know, just people who were just so super, super nice to me. But we're, we're fast tracking. We're fast forwarding. You grew up in Seattle. How did you end up in the five towns? Were you you know, in school in New York? Did you go by way of someplace else? Talk me through I it. I went to Stern. I did. Oh. My whole family, my mom went to Stern. My dad went to YU. My Zadie went to YU. Like my whole family basically went to Stern and YU. And so Yeshiva University, uh, I said YU as if everybody knows what that is, by the way. Um, so I went to Stern, uh, which was on 34th Street in Manhattan. Amazing, amazing location. Not so amazing. My freshman year was also the year when 9-11 happened. Uh, so that was a very interesting year. Also the year that I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So uh, 2001 was a very interesting year for me. But I went to Stern. So I was in college for four years in New York. And then I moved to the Upper West Side, as so many Stern College women do. And uh, I was introduced to my husband, there we were set up. So I met him there and he was from Farakway. Very nice. There you yeah. go. And Farakway is right near the five zone. So that exactly. explains how you got there. Now my whole sib my all my siblings, my parents, everybody else still lives in Seattle. They all wow. went to New York and then they all went back home. So is that it sounds like you're really close with your siblings. How does that work long distance? Oh, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I love going to visit and love visiting my family, but I also love coming back to New York. I love the schools here and I love the opportunities here and I love everything about where I live except for my family's not here but I get to go visit them a few times a year I see my parents so often they come to visit I go to visit them so I get to have those experiences and, and you know I fought with my siblings a lot growing up so we like to joke that we don't fight because we live on opposite sides of the country it certainly helps it does, <laughs> it does. Certainly I, love, I talk helps. to my sisters every day just on the phone and not in person yeah. Yeah, exactly. You, you find other ways to connect to people, no matter okay. where they are, no matter what they're, I guess, where, where they're up to or, mm -hmm. or all of that. You mentioned 9-11. I, I am a little bit younger than you are. Um, I was six years old when 9-11. Oh, that just happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. and, so, and I have, I have one very distinct memory that I'm not even sure if it actually happened. I just remember it was the first day of school. Um, my, I, my sisters and I went to the same school as my cousins and my aunt had come to school to pick up her daughters and saw me and my sisters and was like, you're coming with me. And then I, so I remember that. And I remember walking into my parents' bedroom and my dad watching the news and like seeing the footage of the towers falling. Yeah. And then I remember him changing the channel really quickly. And I'm not even sure if I even saw the footage at the time. I think that I might've like superimposed that into the memory because mm. I've seen it since. Um, but I can't imagine what it was like being in Manhattan, very, like a 10 minute subway ride away from where all of this hectic, like oh. hectic and crazy. Yeah. What was that like? What was that? What, what just what, what was that? Well, so I will say first, I didn't even know, you know, I'm coming from Seattle. It was my first year being in New York. I didn't even know what the Twin Towers were. So, I mean, I like knew a little bit about them. I didn't know where they were until they were gone. 
So I and I have very distinct memories. I could literally tell you my entire day. It would be very boring and long, but it it was close enough that you could, I mean, you could smell everything. You could see the smoke. I, I could see people walking the streets covered in ash. You know, we were, we were really not so far away that people were walking up to town because they couldn't get on the subways, of course. So it was, it was not, it was not a good experience for anybody, obviously. Um, but it is a very distinct memory that lives in me forever. And one thing that I always think is funny that I remember is that we had school that day and they didn't cancel school. I didn't go to classes. <laughs> I decided that I was going to hang out with my sister instead. She lived in a different apartment building. So we spent the day together because it was nice having family nearby, especially with like phones not working and cell phones weren't really a thing then, you know, not the way they are now. I sound very old saying that, but it's true. There was also like, that was the beginning of Facebook, right? Like all these things right. exist the way they do now where it happened, you know, the, the buildings fell and, and so much happened. And my parents were across the country. Actually, my father was in Africa wow. when 9-11 happened. So we were all over the world. And the connection, I remember using a payphone. That's right. I used a payphone. Look at you. Yes. Oh my goodness. Payphones. But it was, yeah, it was, it's, that was the beginning of my freshman year in college. And uh, <laughs> that's kind of where things started. And then right. gosh, it was 9-11, so that was after, that was before the holidays. I think yeah. it was, I think that year it was before the Jewish holidays yeah. uh, because there were a lot of stories. Um, I know in my community, a lot of people in Queens worked in the towers and there were a lot of stories of people who, um, who had missed their regular train to work that day yes. because of the Slichos prayers. That's right. I actually knew someone else who had missed that. Thank God took the train in late, gets off the train and walked right back around. Yeah. yeah. My, my dad was actually, he didn't work in the towers or I don't think that he even, I don't know exactly where he worked in the mm-hmm. city to be perfectly honest. He had gone to these longer prayers leading up to Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish new year. There are longer prayers in the morning and a lot of people end up coming to work late that week. It's just, it's just Isn't what happened. that incredible? Um, and, uh, and, oh, and he had the same kind of story. Old? Oh, I'm I, so no, old. I was, yeah, I was six. I was in first grade. <laughs> okay. Sorry that's for that's making you feel It's old. okay. I, I own my age. I'm 36. I don't feel old at You're all. Not that much older than me. I'm 24. Right. It feels, once you get older, the age difference doesn't feel so strong. Like I have friends, you know, it's just our, when you're, when you're older, once you hit your 20s, and especially once you hit your 30s, you don't see the age difference as much. But when you're six years old and 18 years old, it's a huge difference. Of course. There's a, there's a huge, it's funny. I find that also with siblings, actually. My older sister and I fought like cats and dogs. Mm-hmm. And what really needed to happen was that I needed to catch up. She's only four years older than I am. But, you know, when someone's four and someone else is eight, that's a huge difference. Now I'm 24, she's 28. We're in the same kind of chapter of our lives, I guess you could say. And, mm-hmm. and we just have so much more in common now. And we so tend to yell at each other less, um, yeah. which is helpful. But yeah, it's, it's so interesting how there's, uh, there are so many people who you can connect with. And at a certain point, I guess age just doesn't matter. It doesn't, you know, in a, in a frame of it, I guess. Yeah. I agree. Look at me and Naomi Nachman, right? Naomi Nachman and I, she is another, you know, she's food blogging and traveling the world. And we connected, I don't even know how many years ago we actually met. And she is uh, 48, 
let's go, no, 49. So she's more than 10 years older than you. Yeah, but there is zero age difference between us when we hang out. Sorry, Naomi, if I just totally called out your age on the podcast. <laughs> we'll double but, check with Naomi that she's okay with that. But oh, she'll be fine with it. She'll be okay with it. She's very- She acts like she's 30. So whatever age she is, she'll never be- That's 30. true. I cannot keep up with her. Yeah. She's, she's moving around in 10 million different directions always. Shout out to Naomi. Yeah. So, okay. So you're in college. It's You have this crazy beginning to your college career mm-hmm. and and you're diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, which for can you explain the difference between type 1 and type 2 for people who don't know? I could try. I mean, I'm I'm not great at it. The biggest difference for me is that type ones do not produce insulin and type twos produce insulin. But I I always get this wrong, but I like to think in my head that the receptors that take the insulin and like use them in their body don't work right. So type twos have insulin. It's just not working right. And type ones don't have any insulin produced in our bodies. And you didn't, isn't that something that people usually find in childhood? It used to be known as juvenile diabetes. I think a lot of people still call it that, but people more and more are being diagnosed older. So it's just a different type of disease and age doesn't really play a part in it, which is so crazy. Now, a lot of people for type two get it with older age. It's also right. I mean, there's so much that they don't know about this disease. It's crazy, but I know for a type two that a lot of times um, age plays a part and genetics play a part. So that's something that for type one, at least from the research they have, does not play a part in it. It's just random. I'm just one of the lucky ones. You're just lucky that way. So when, after you were diagnosed, did you need to, did your life change drastically? Did you need to start eating more vegetables? Like what did that, and, and also you're a freshman in college. So did yeah. it, that, oh, that sounds like not so much fun. It was interesting. Well, it happened to be that it was right around finals. So I didn't have to take finals, which was pretty cool. That's good. Um, I really took it in stride, which still to this day blows my mind that I, I remember like after being diagnosed and my sugar was crazy high, it's in the hospital for four days. And I just was like, better me than somebody else. That was my mentality was better me than my siblings, which is so strange. Even now I'm like, really Mel, that was how you reacted. But I definitely, I took it in stride and just spent a lot of time like learning how to deal with it. I did learn how to continue drinking beer, which was very important to me (laughs) as a freshman in college. Of course. You know, I had to keep drinking. So I just figured out how to take insulin and drink, which now I look back and I'm like, well, you were crazy, but I wanted to just keep going with my life. So that's what I did. Okay. So, so you did. And then after college, you well, I moved to the Upper West Side. I actually graduated with a major in public relations. Oh, that makes such perfect so, sense to me. You think so? Because I just look, I'm like, really? Well, <laughs> yeah. a really fun major. But I, I went into one job with PR and realized it was not for me. Really? What yeah. was it about PR that you didn't like? And what was so different? If you liked the schooling, then why didn't you like the job? Like, what was so vastly well, different. like the classes. And I, I, I never really thought it was going to be what I did. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. Like I wasn't one of those college students who knew my future. I really went in completely open. I, I am definitely a people person. So I picked something in that range, but the job that I took after college, I felt like I was working with these companies that I didn't believe in. And you got to believe like in PR and advertising, you want to believe in who you're working for. And I just, I didn't really like the job, and I kind of just threw my resume out into the universe. I put it online on one of these websites. 
And I got a phone call from someone and it was Goldman Sachs and they were, you know, they were looking for people to recruit. And I'm like, okay, there was not a lot of brain involvement. It was more like, this seems like fun. So why not see how it goes? Which I guess I still do to this day. That's such a great attitude though. Yeah. When you have that kind of attitude of, yeah, that, that works, then you end up opening yourself up to so many different new possibilities. You end up not worrying so much about all the million things that can go wrong, which is something that I tend to do. Yeah. You know, I, I wish I had a little bit more of that. Yeah, let's just see how it goes. Kind yeah. of. The what ifs, the dreaded what ifs. I just, um, don't get I remember started. going into the interview and they were like, well, why do you want to be a recruiter? I'm like, I don't know what recruiters do. <laughs> so I just made something up at the interview and it clearly sounded good. And they took me and then I actually stayed in recruiting for quite a few years for different, um, uh, different opportunities that I found, but I really liked recruiting. It was people, I was a people person and I, I got to plan events and it was just fun. Like I really, I had a really fun time for many years while I did it and I, I just fell into it, but I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I figured just see what sticks and go from there. And if it didn't stick, what's the worst that could happen? I leave and I go find something else. Okay. So then from recruiting, well, I know that you're a food blogger now. So how did that happen? How did Kitchen Tested become a thing? Right. And it's so funny because I, I don't necessarily consider myself a food blogger anymore, which is a really interesting progression from where I was. Um, I stopped working as a recruiter when I was having my second kid. We moved to Long Island and it was really more that I didn't want to commute into the city anymore. So I left my job and I was thinking to myself, like, I could be a stay-at-home mom, which I, my sisters laughed at me. They're like, that's not, that's not good luck with that now. Like, it's just <laughs> not really my thing. I'm really good at like chilling, but being a stay-at-home mom with the kids, I, I love my children, but I'm not such a kid person like other people's kids. I totally I get that. Yeah. I just have no interest in being around them. That's the truth. I totally, totally get that. Yeah. Like you can keep the baby over there. That's fine. So totally okay with that. So I was home for a little bit, but I was getting bored. My daughter just literally napped all day. It was the biggest blessing because my son never napped. So I just, one day my husband, like I was always into food my whole life. And my husband brought home this fruit called a durian. Have you ever heard of that? Is that the smelly fruit? It's the smelly fruit. And Andrew Zimmer from, from, uh, the Travel Channel was always talking about it, how much he hated it. And my husband found one in Queens and was like, I'm bringing it home. And I started- Since Queens have exotic fruits. Oh my gosh. Queens is the place for exotic fruit. Oh. oh my I gotta gosh. get like a list of fruit stands from you later. Oh my God. Well, I'll get them for my husband. No problem. He actually, before, before you know, the holidays with the new year and all the new fruit, he goes into Queens because it's so much cheaper than shopping at the kosher supermarkets for the new fruits. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Yes. So don't, just don't buy durian. Just do yourself. Yeah, no, Although, don't buy that. But how come we didn't think about that? Queens is actually famous for being one of the most diverse boroughs mm-hmm. out there. Um, and I've actually done a lot of work with the Queens Economic Development Corporation um, mm-hmm. around, around their business plan uh, initiatives and their startup competitions and, um, and all of that. And through that organization, I've gotten a chance to learn a lot more about Queens. And I can't believe it didn't occur to me to just go to Austin Street and get some weird fruit there. Got it. You're welcome. I will find out where, though, because I don't know if Austin Street is the best place to go, by the way. I used to live in Queens. Um, there are other areas. I'll find out from him. I'll, I'll let you know. Okay. 
where you can get all the cheaper, cool fruits okay. and everything We will like include that. in the show notes a list of weird <laughs> fruit stands for everyone yeah. to refer back to if you are as interested in produce as I am. Oh my God. But anyway. I started my blog and <laughs> I was posting on Facebook and, and I started posting this whole album and my friend was like, you should put it, make it into a blog. And I was like, what is a blog? Because this was not almost nine years ago. Yeah, before blogging was a career. And it, it was, it was for certain people. Like I can name for you people who were, you know, Reed Drummond was a blogger who started way before I did. And there were bloggers that were out there. Um, you know, I think even, you know, Jamie Geller was doing it, Nina Safar. There were people who were blogging, but it wasn't a huge community the way it is now. So I started, my friend actually showed me this blog called Smitten Kitchen, which is such a great blog. So I actually made mine look like that person. So I had no idea what I was doing and just started throwing all my recipes up there with the most horrible photos you have ever seen in your life. They were just terrible. Like everyone hates their early photography. Oh, and Before we realized that. that photography needed to be a thing, <laughs> everyone hates it. And when I look back at my first collection of photography, it makes me want to cry. So oh. don't feel bad about that. We all hate our early photos. And I love it because I didn't think too much about it again. I just was like, why not? Right? If, right. Nobody, if nobody reads it, then I move on and I try something different. And then people actually started to read it. And back then, it was, I would say it was much easier to go viral because there weren't as many of us. And right. I was building this community all on Facebook because Instagram didn't exist yet. And I made Martha Stewart's rainbow layer cake and I made it dairy-free. And the Jewish Hello. community went wild. Wow, this was before rainbow cakes were a thing. Right. One of the things I was always really proud of with my food blog was doing things first, doing these like crazy things. I was, you know, and I was talking about it actually this morning with someone at the gym that I was so proud to be the first person to put Jack's Gourmet fake in, which is their fake bacon on my website before they were even selling it. They sent me a slab to taste and I put it on my blog. And there are just so many fun things that I was trying before they were cool. <laughs> and, and I was always proud of it because part of my blog was about pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. And it goes back to that same energy of, yeah, we'll try it. I'll eat fake bacon. I'll eat stinky fruit. Like I'll do, I'll figure it out. I'll see what we can make. Out of curiosity, what did you make with the stinky, with the stinky fruit? And was it good? Oh, terrible. I made a cake. and it just, Well, first we just tried it on its own because I really, I am a believer in trying everything twice. So you try it once, maybe you don't like it, try it again. And so I tried it. I didn't like it. And then I tried it again, didn't like it. And I was like, you know, what am I going to do with this? So I made it into a cake, which was horrible. <laughs> horrible. And actually later on, I made cinnamon buns with durian which was really interesting and not the greatest thing I've ever had, but the dough was really good. <laughs> just, yeah, because it was cinnamon buns. Yeah, just durian, just, I think that everyone should try it because don't, I, like to, I like to think, don't say no to something until you know what you're saying no to. Okay. So I feel like that about durian. How do you know? What if, you, what if you're the person who does like it? There are other people who like it. I haven't met them, but I know they exist. That's actually a really good point. I don't think I'll be eating stinky fruit anytime though. <laughs> but that was when I started my blog. That was really my dream. I wanted people to try these new ingredients and step out of their comfort zone. And really my, in my thought process, it was, my goodness, even if you've never made a lasagna before, it didn't have to be all these crazy ingredients. It could just be something as simple as a lasagna. If you've never made it, give it a shot. 
you know, try something you've never tried before, learn something you've never learned before. And, and that has taken me so far and so far beyond food blogging to where I am now, you know, and I've, I've not grown away from food blogging because food is a part of my life forever. And I love developing recipes, but through my Instagram, I've really moved more into this motivational speaking space, but the message is still the same. And can I just say that I love listening to you speak? I, I don't, I don't watch Instagram stories every day. I, I try actively not to just because it becomes such a time suck. And frankly, I'd rather go to sleep at night. I'm just, I'm bomb tired and I can't, but you do your, your dog walk and talks, yeah. which are this, these early morning, like pep talks. What I, my favorite part of the dog walk and talks is that if I do get a chance to watch them before I get out of bed in the morning, they have already been posted like seven hours before. Or I might be exaggerating too. Like I'm in bed at, I don't know, like 8.30 or whatever. And you've already- now, Oh, maybe two hours. You're right. I, yeah, I usually- A solid two hours earlier. And then yeah. it makes me think like, Melinda must be eating lunch already by now. Like she's had a full day. She is just conquering the world. Mm-hmm. Well, I do eat every two to three hours. So you will always catch me eating something. I like to keep uh, fueling my body. That's one of the things I also, um, really my full-time job, I would say, is health coaching uh, with Optavia. So that's actually one of the, the biggest catalyst for the motivational change for me was working on my own habits and going, oh, I can change. I can grow. I'm just the one in control of it, not the people around me. So that's kind of where the dog walk started and the sharing and the, my love for Rachel Hollis and all things related to personal growth. Yeah. And I know that you've been doing a lot of work now around personal growth and particularly with your podcast, the Kavana podcast, which Mm -hmm. is really great to listen to because those are some lovely, genuine conversations. I'm a podcast junkie. I listen to podcasts like I want to say like probably five hours a day because I'm always working by myself and I'm usually doing active things with my hands and I just love listening to things. And yours is one of my favorites because they're always genuine conversations Mm -hmm. about whatever occurs to you, you know, about whatever makes sense with that particular guest. What was the idea behind the Kavana podcast and how did that happen? So the podcast came from this conference that I decided that I'm going to run. Again, there we go with the jumping in. I, uh, I was actually at another growth conference. I was at the Rachel Hollis Rise Conference, which was such a, it was so incredible to be there. I felt lucky because the event uh, sold out in 27 minutes. And I was one of those people who actually got tickets with one of the coaches that I work with. And I'm sitting in this room and I'm like, why? There's no event like this for Jewish women. And, you know, our values, while our values are, are, you know, there's so many similarities with the outside world, with other religions, there are some really special things about being Jewish. And I wanted, and I feel like there, there is a space for a conference where Jewish women can come together and find community and learn how to dream and learn how to take care of themselves when we as Jewish moms and Jewish women are always worried about everybody else. And I'm sitting in this conference and I'm like, we need this. You know, these conferences also usually happen on Shabbos. They happen on weekends. I am not flexible with Shabbos. Like I full on keep Shabbos at these conferences, but I'm okay being in the room where I know that so many women are not. I'm like, I got to make a conference like this for Jewish women of all religious levels. Like wherever you are, if you're Jewish, you're there and you belong there because we all deserve to learn how to take care of ourselves better. 
and I called it Kavana. I remember exactly where I was when I realized that was the word that I was going to use because I wanted a Hebrew word, but a Hebrew word that could translate and sound cool in English too because you know, that's important. So I was reading all these articles and I saw the word and Kavana means conscious intentionality, not just being intentional, but being really conscious with it. I was like, that's it. That's the word right there. Okay. And then, and the Kavana conference is happening this December, right? It is December 15th. It's going to be this year. It's going to be in uh, Passaic, New Jersey at Factory 220. And I, tickets are actually on sale. So you can go to kavanaconference.com. It's K-A-V-A-N-A, Kavana, no H at the end, kavanaconference.com to buy tickets. It's going to be an incredible event. And it's really like, it's the first of its kind. It feels so special to me. It's all I can think about now. And I feel like just every woman deserves to be there. And I, I know a lot of people are like, is this the right place for me? I'm like, are you, are you a woman? Are you Jewish? Yeah, you're good. Yeah, you can. <laughs> you fit our criteria. You're right I'm- there in it. But I know not everybody is thinking about personal growth. So I know that it's not for everybody, but if you are just seeking something out, wanting a change in your life, wanting to be able to take care of yourself more, then it is a really good place for you to be. And I will definitely have all of that information in the show notes if anyone does want to uh, learn more about the conference and get your tickets. The last thing that I want to ask you about is your you have this, you know, repetitive theme of, I'm just going to try it. You know, no one has this kind of conference. I'm going to do it. What's a food blog? I don't know. We're going to figure it out. What's, you know, you'll, you're just always jumping into things. It's such a great skill to have. What is something practical that you think that people can take away if, you know, our listeners want to be a little bit more intentional about just jumping into things. What is something that I can do right now that will help me let loose a little bit and take, take chances in the way that you have been able to? Well, a big thing that I can say is I can't say to someone, think less, right? You know, they're, everybody's different with their level of thinking. I do think, I just think a lot less before I make a decision because I'm less worried about the outcome. And one thing that I can say is even if you're feeling fear, even if you're asking yourself, What's going to happen? What if this? What if that? Do it anyways. I can't tell you not to feel the fear, but I can tell you to push through the fear because here's a big one. You're actually going to make it through to the other side. Your heart might be pounding. You might be sweating. It it might take everything out of you to do it, but you will actually make it through to the other side, even if you're petrified while you do it. So do it anyways. Feel the fear and do it anyways. I love yeah. that. Um, if someone wants to learn more about you, about what the work that they're doing, Melinda, how can we be in touch? Well, uh, I would say the best place is Instagram. Thank goodness for Instagram. As long as we have it, I will take it. Uh, I am the real Melinda Strauss on Instagram. And then I actually have a website, melindastrauss.com. Everything you need to know is there. Fabulous. And the last, last question that we're leaving off with asking all of our uh, guests on this podcast, in your life, in your work, in the things that you do, in your, in your anything, what does it mean to you, Melinda, to make an impact? Oh my goodness. What a question. I mean, it means everything. When I see people changing because of the work that I'm doing, it makes me want to do more. It makes me want to keep going and it gives me life to see other people changing their own lives. Wow. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Melinda. I really appreciate it. 
Thanks for having me on the podcast. What an honor. Thanks for listening. There's tons of fun information in the show notes this week, including a link to the interview I did on the Woman of Valor podcast, directions to exotic fruit stands, and other fun things that came up over the course of our conversation. You can also find out how to buy tickets and listen to the Kavana podcast all in the show notes, which you can access by swiping up on the cover art. To hear more episodes, subscribe or head over to impactfashionnyc.com slash blog slash podcast. While you're there, feel free to check out what's new in the world of size-inclusive modest fashion. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help more people hear it, leave a review or a rating. It helps. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses, original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.